0: In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a great conversation with Aditi Party, a senior associate in planning and smart city initiatives at infrastructure and urban development company, Savannah Jurong. Aditi tells us about her background in business and architecture and her passion for smart community solutions, as well as why it's so important to her personally. She tells us how she sees India embracing smart city initiatives, and we also talk in depth about two projects she's worked on. We discuss how cities must be carefully managing their resources and the very real need to educate both citizens and local government administration and other professionals to be able to fully engage in and maintain smart initiatives we finish our chat discussing the emerging trends of disaster management and multi-use facilities within cities as always i hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends The smart community podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Aditi. How are you today? I'm Belzo. How are you? I am very well. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about?
1: Absolutely. So I'm an urbanist. Essentially, I have an architecture and business background. And I have been working on smart city projects for the last 10 years in India. And uh, I've had the opportunity to work abroad and study abroad in US and in Copenhagen as well. So my passions were developed not just because I worked on climate mitigation projects in India as a student, but also because I was in New Orleans post-Katrina, where I saw a lot of uh, urban rejuvenation. But I think the crux of where it all began for me was Copenhagen, where I actually saw the, the design lab work on smart cities during business school and it was so based on social engagement and social entrepreneurship and the Danish municipality was involved so that's when I actually saw it come together for the first time and it inspired I think the rest of my life.
0: Wow that's so awesome well you've kind of answered the next question but is there anything in particular that really sparked your interest in this smart cities smart community space?
1: Uh, Actually, it was the project I did the moment I came back, which was the first data and command center that we did in Delhi. And 10 years ago, we were looking at doing metros and I started as a humble metro architect, but we also did a multimodal center bang in a historic center, uh, which was nearly 2000 years old. So there's a UN World Heritage Center in Delhi, and in the center of that, we put in 11,000 buses, a metro, which had 50,000 footfalls an hour, and BRT corridors, and cycle stations, and that's when, for the first time, I started seeing these numbers, you know, intelligence signaling systems and smart ITS systems. And we saw that there was a massive impact to the city. And that's when I realized that we need to have data as the basis for developing and rejuvenating the city as we go along. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds like a really
0: interesting and complex project. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it it was challenging because so many projects in the world now are not greenfield. They are big urban centers, and you need to work with the demands that are growing in the in the center as as it grows with the economy and the industries. And you need to sort of bring down the use of the resources. So it's challenging just to think about the fact that you'll be doing it with people still moving around. So then you have the whole no dig. You know, smart city idea that you don't dig into the city, you work with the surface of the city as much as you can. Oh, I love that. No dig, smart city.
0: So let's move on to what is a smart city to
1: you? See, there is that academic definition of connectivity and resource consumption, improved sustainability. But to me, it's just the intelligence of making everyday decisions, you know, the citizens engaging with the city as a whole and allowing for greater democracy and design use of technology and the management and having these enhanced lives you know you live better you work happier live learn play but in an environment that you co-create so ideally that's what it should be but there are of course pitfalls to achieving that now Mm. so why do you think that this
0: concept is so
1: important So, see, uh, there are these numbers, you know, 70% of Indians will be living in, you know, we are looking at 100 million urban population being added every 10 years. But for me, it's very personal because I lived in Bangalore City for three years and it is supposed to be the city of a thousand lakes. But when I was living there, we had only 30 lakes and 97% of the lakes were either full of industrial uh, waste or drought uh, had caused them to dry out. And then I moved to Delhi and I spent four months wearing a mask because our air quality index was over 300. And in some industrial areas, it was over 900. So to me, the importance is just no longer about resource management. I feel it is about survivability of urban living, if nothing else.
0: Okay, well, let's go to India. And how do you think that India is
1: embracing this smart city concept? We had smart ideas always, and we were always doing smart infrastructure for transportation, and which is generally the springboard for most uh, smart city development. And uh, in 2016, there was a big launch for smart cities where the government declared 100 cities, 5,000 projects were identified. And today, we have about uh, 500 of these projects, and I have worked on a couple of them, which I'll be bringing up later. And uh, only 10% of them have reached anywhere close to completion after four years. And there's a lot of project in the tendering and in the pre-implementation stage. And that's where I come back to the pitfalls that I was mentioning that so much of it is uh, relocation because whenever you put in smart infrastructure, you need land and land acquisition. And doing the pre-work to setting up a smart city, even in a a greenfield project, it takes a lot of time so and, and a lot more money than, uh, you know, generally people think to put in for these projects before they start. So uh, the way the project started in India was that they had a competition and proposals were put in for a lot of cities and they picked up 20 cities. And I was I happened to have worked on the city that scored the highest in that competition which also happens to be my hometown. And then there were 20 cities which were the lighthouse cities. And uh, again, because the sheer size of these cities were so huge, you know, some of them were two times the size. Uh, the one which is going to be completed this year, Dholera, is two times the city size of Mumbai, which is one of our largest cities, six times the city size of Shanghai. So they said that they'll start small and replicate it. So this is where the big ambition of the big idea became basically these small parcels of work that started happening with smart cities. And, and then now they have had three small stages of identification of cities. So we have exactly 100 cities that they intend to finish by 2025. My projects are, of course, an offshoot of this. So I'll be talking about two kinds of projects. One is a small project, which was uh, basically not part of the federal smart city agenda but group of ports, privatized ports, with a shareholder capacity of a special government vehicle, started an Orange City smart project. And it's a four square kilometer project. And it's on the outskirts of Mumbai. And this was a successful project simply because it didn't have, you know, the federal funding coming in, waiting for that and the approvals and things like that. And versus the one that I was mentioning in Brunei, which is the big you know, publicized smart city, which was also on the British global smart city list and all of that. So should I just give you a few numbers for the orange smart city? Yeah, let's jump into it. Excellent. So this was a 4.5 square kilometer greenfield smart city project. And it was driven mostly by the goals of the existing privatized sports, And what we did in in my company was work towards, uh, first, the numbers, you know, 300,000 people and 100,000 jobs. And the emphasis was trying to get a lot of flexibility and an ability for fast upgradation in the software and hardware technology. Because again, since smart cities are so technology-driven, although civic engagement is core, to understanding what the people require it is completely driven by what is scalable now if we pick up specialized hardware software vendors for example for sensors you know you you basically restrict the way your city can grow it can't be that scalable so you have to have very standardized way of procuring these elements and you need to put that in right at the development stage so uh, the development mix was driven by uh, a lot of gap assessment to see where you know there is Uh, lack of either products or, um, you know, technology in the state for this particular project. And we did a lot of surveys of industries and the emphasis when we were developing these industries was on green and white technology. So right at the beginning, we got in economics and we got in indexes that we used for benchmarking, uh, economic complexity index and product complexity index to make the economics of the project really, really robust right from get-go, rather than trying to, you know, mitigate green issues or uh, solar panel issues at a later stage of the project. And the environmental aspects, we put it into the urban guidelines. Like we said, you have to give us 30 square uh, meters per capita green, which is a little higher than the, you know, the standards, the world standards. And then we spoke about existing water feature preservations, uh, less than 50% soil erosion, Every site had to put 5% slope retention. The, the project proposed more than 80% clean industries and up to 80% waste upcycling. So this was actually a little higher than what is the global standard for these urban uh, smart city centers, because you know we aimed high so that you know it can be phased and achieved eventually. And then because India has you know, massive afforestation issues that need to be put into the project early on, we wanted to make sure that they have a lot of less than 10% urban heat island effect. So ensuring that it was a green project from get-go, there was no zero runoff from rains because I think one of the biggest problems is that we don't do any rainwater harvesting for a lot of these projects at the beginning. And also emphasize that you have to have almost all buildings rated by global standards. So when we put all of this in and had that robust economic background for the project, it was a lot more successful than, say, any of the other projects which are struggling with these ideas to go in. When you have a group of people who will be sort of going into the facility, it's a greenfield facility, to attract them, you also had to educate them. So there was a lot of work put into explaining to them that these are going to be multi-use Areas, please prioritize your spaces or you know your retail mixes as you come into this new project, and you know work with seasonal strategies so that you can work out your profit and motives. so we took care of the end investors as well going in for the project, and this was a lot more achievable for something which didn't have a lot of government oversight, surprisingly because you know most of the times you think that smart cities are government driven but in this particular case we actually got a lot more done without that much government oversight. And in the end, it's still at the implementation stage. We have just started with what is the command center or what they call in this project, the experience center. And the project is scheduled to be done in 10 years. So the second project I wanted to talk about was this, again, 50,000 square kilometers of land in the center of Bhubaneshwar. And it was going to be a transit-oriented development. And the idea was it, that it was going to be a linchpin for about four square kilometers of Bhuvneshwar metropolitan development phased out from this particular project. This is when we realized that when we started doing the GIS modeling and we wanted to do our land options and uh, some analysis on that, there was, of course, because India has a lot of languages, we got most of the documents in the native language. And then making that into a revenue document on GIS with uh, land availability studies and land viability, how much of it is actually usable. And then acquiring this land and then relocating the people is where I had said we have pitfalls to development because a lot of people don't understand that, yes, a smart city will need a certain portion of land that needs to be surrendered for it to, you know, sort of go to the next stage. And it really took a lot of government intervention for us to be able to speak about how we are prioritizing which sector, how we are identifying the projects that are going to be coming up after we did the Hovnesho Town Center Smart District. And then we had to collaborate with a lot of uh, different utilities at that point of time. And as I said, uh, this was also the site for my first uh, project as a bachelor student, because uh, this is a highly cyclone prone area. So The focus for the development was the portable water and storm water and power source transmission. And when we had the cyclone last year, almost immediately after this project was approved, we saw the underbelly of the project, actually, that, you know, it's not just that we can acquire land and we can make proposals and get land GIS systems in place and get telecom and other providers and service operators in place. It's also about uplifting it at the grassroots level, like a bottom-up sort of need to design the city. We have to sort of talk about how smart cities allocate their funds. Most of the time, 80% of the funds go into these highly dense developed pockets. And so if I look at it from a Bhuvneshwar city point of view, 80% of the funds went into 2.7% of the total land of the city in terms of development. So it's so fund intensive and it fails because it doesn't have the supportive infrastructure all around it. Because we tried to upgrade, you know, the telecom in one place and we upgrade, which was different from the Orange Smart City project where it was a greenfield project. And we, we took it as an integrated approach and, you know, phased it out in a systematic way. Uh, but in a brownfield project, when you try to sort of put in all your funds into developing, generally you start with transport and you can't do stormwater management and waste management and potable water and these sort of things in pockets. And so again, I envisage that eventually we'll have to spread out these smart ideas to the whole of the city planning. Yes, a system, right? Yeah. And it's huge because, you know, how much did we spend on 50,000 square meters? You have to put that across four square kilometers just for the first city that we do. So again, since it's the first few years, 2016 is when the project started, it's 2019, we are still learning, learning where the pitfalls are as we are working on these projects. And it's a lot uh, easier to say that, you know, India has a lot done. It does have a lot kicked off, but I think some of the things they didn't have, an insight into when they started was literally that, yes, it's going to take a while to relocate people when we start smart projects. And yes, it's going to you know need to have a slightly more spread out approach rather than these pocket developments with intensified uh, smart ideas, which is the approach that they had. So that's my monologue.
0: Oh, really interesting. Well, it kind of leads into this next question, which is about integration. So how do you think, we can better integrate across you know, the different disciplines, government, industries, the people, the community.
1: So, uh, see, uh, the truth is that cities have limited resources and you have to engage all the various disciplines to meet all the infrastructure and service needs. However, the danger that is inherent in this idea is that instead of strengthening governing bodies, you have created a parallel mechanism of governance, which is what is the reality on the ground right now. So, eventually, when everything is built and done and operated, and you hand it back to, say, the local mayor, do they really have the data scientists? Do they really have the engineers to sort of maintain the smart city? Is, is the question that I ask. So, I think it's important that we integrate with them which education at the get-go of these projects. And I think this is being realized because uh, as of last year, they've started giving out smart city scholarships as part of the smart city mission now. They are getting in government agencies to come and send professionals to prepare them for administration at the government end. So that is how we integrate the industry with the idea with the government. It really needs to go down to the people who have to implement it. and. The other issue that we are facing right now is that the Indian corporate sector, the MNCs, and the rate of investment that they are putting into these cities is not coming at the anticipated rate. We saw it with the Amravati project when the CM, um, you know, had to basically put it out as a bond, as a government bond, to get in, you know, the Indian people to invest into the city. So if we are not having project funding, And we are relying on external sources. We need to have like checks and balances for that. I mean, uh, where is the money coming from? How is it being utilized? We need government oversight for that. We already have some projects which have come up with intergovernmental partnership, like uh, the Amravati Capital City, which is the newest capital city we are building, is in a JV with the Singapore government. And our smart city grids are going to be with, you know, knowledge sharing and some kind of uh, an understanding with the U.S. government. So I think it's a mix of trying out what works for what. But at the end of the day, once built and done, I feel the education of people who will be actually handling the smart city command centers and, you know, the administrative work for the smart cities, they need to be educated on the technology. So what are the
0: emerging trends that people aren't talking
1: about enough? So I've already uh, spoken about how we are very, very focused on smart transport. But I think in India particularly, I would want people to start talking about disaster management because we are very uh, natural disaster prone in various parts of India. And when we talk about housing, I think we have to seriously think about how far people have to go to work and how far people have to go for school. So when we marginalize low-cost housing, we need to examine if it is smart to do that because it's an entire service sector. It's an entire group of people that are part of the city that sometimes get marginalized. And as urban designers and as specialists, we should avoid doing that. So that's where I'm coming out from. Then, I think the other thing that really suffers sometimes is, you know, these downtown green spaces that we don't utilize in a smart way, you know, just parkings and green spaces, which What will happen eventually is, you know, India is now subsidizing and giving taxes to electrical vehicles. We are really promoting public transport and downtown is going to have empty parking spaces and green spaces. And buildings are going to empty out because all the parking structures will go nowhere. Convention centers will go nowhere because everybody will start having e-conferences. What do you do with these empty buildings? So I think we need to educate designers, engineers, that what happens when a parking structure empties out? Can that be turned into housing or co-working spaces or a new format of building occupancy right from get-go? So when, when we plan cities, we need to say, okay, probably primarily this would be a conference center, but when conference centers are no longer being used, can it be quickly converted into a hotel or a business boutique center or you know, some kind of retail, because otherwise, you'll have a lot of infrastructure, and a lot of buildings built that don't get used the entire year round. So just re-looking at public spaces and, you know, these single utility building functions for the smart environment, because what happens to school playgrounds in the afternoon and the evening, you probably can think of using it for a club or, you know, and something of that sort. Because again, rather than making cities larger, making them more integrated and multi-use. And nobody's uh, looking at it in a smart way because so much of smart city is technology and active electronic participation. But I think we neglect the passive, simple, smart ideas that could work for a city. Uh, You know, the low-tech ideas which are smart.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been so great to speak with you, DT. I'm so glad that we connected and when we finally made it, finally put an appointment in our calendar that we could both meet.
1: Absolutely. If you visit India, I'll take you to one of our smart cities and our smart command centers, I promise you.
0: Oh, I would love that. I was just thinking, I'm like, hmm, how can I get to India? Anyway. I tend to make these things happen, so I'll definitely call you up. Definitely. (laughs) Okay, well, I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Uh,
1: Well, I think my name, aditipadi.com, I have my own .com, but it's mostly my writings. And for my work-related professional profile, LinkedIn, which is aditipadi at gmail.com, And that's how people can get in touch with me. I would love to hear what they think and if they have some inputs because I think some of my ideas might have sounded somewhat bleak. So optimism is more than welcome.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll put all the links in the show notes. It's been fantastic to speak with you. And yeah, I look forward to our next conversation.
1: Looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Take care.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two m's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears. So thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.